Hello and welcome to Book Nation. I'm Chris Stevens. And I'm Nell Coakley. And we are here today, well, to talk about books. What else? We call it Book Nation. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> That's what we do. That is what we do, folks. We have a really cool guest coming in later. We have Dan Albert, who has written a book called Are We There Yet? It's all about cars. It's American about automobiles. Cars. Past, present, and driverless. That'd be interesting. Yeah, it's good. I, I I will admit, and I will admit to him, I have not read the whole thing, but I've skimmed through it and I've read the intro and stuff, and it's 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 funny. I think it's going to be good. It's it's um, you know, he talks about sitting in the way back. I mean, come on, who hasn't sat in the way back in a family car? I haven't really. Do you know what I mean when I say no, sitting in the way back? I have no. Are idea you what seriously? No. Maybe is that a New England thing? Maybe did maybe. you did you have a station wagon growing no. up? No. Oh, see, that's it. So station wagons were popular around here and popular in my era. Maybe talk to Dan. See, her husband so, yeah. Dan and I are the same age. My my parents Nell's my parents had that. a Chevy Chevette, so I did sit in the weird little thing in the oh, back. Oh yeah, my mother had a Chevy Chevette for a and long my, time, and I used to like sort of look at in the back and, and be obnoxious. So in a but we'll talk to him about yes, that. yes. I was going to say because I need to tell him that you did not know what the way back was. I have was. no idea what it was. And it's not the Wayback Machine. It's not Mr. I know Peabody. that's what she said. It. I yeah. was like, Mr. Peabody yeah. and Sherman? But before we get to that, we will do, as is tradition, book news. So I know you're excited about yours. Although I'm excited about mine, too, just because I think it's hilarious. But you go first. Okay. So, hey, if you're looking at our Facebook page, and I hope people like will yeah, look us up Yeah, check on it Facebook. out because we've been doing pretty good. Yeah, we've been putting, um, putting stuff up there. But I posted this last week because it caught my attention. Um, Adrian McKinty. So he's this guy. He writes a bunch of like really good books about this Irish detective in Northern Ireland. And he's won like a whole bunch of prizes. What's the name of the detective? Sean Duffy. Okay. Northern Irish detective. Um, his debut was called Dead I May Well Be. Oh. Yeah. So he's written a bunch of stuff. I he like the title. He was a high school English teacher. And he has won all these prizes. But as one of our other guests told us, there's no money in books. Yeah. And so he announces, right? He announces that he is retiring and he is no longer going to be writing. And it came as such a surprise. And what he said was, he's really honest about it. He said he's won all these prizes and had great reviews, but his family had to move to Australia in 2008 because he wasn't making any money. Wow. And so they get to Australia and they're living there and then they get evicted from their house hmm. and he has to go drive. Why Australia? He... Because that's where his wife got a job. Oh, okay. Um, she's an academic and a writer. So he had become an Uber driver. He was just trying to, they were trying to keep the family in and bartending to bring in money while he was writing. Bartenders make good money. So there's this horrible thing. So he, then he gets a phone call, right? So he meets Don Winslow. And I don't know if anybody's read Don Winslow's books. They're very like short and fun. And a lot of them are about surfing or California. Okay. Um, California Fire and Life. Uh, he wrote, he's written The Gentleman's Hour. I'll have to look for those. No, I don't know those. He's fabulous. So apparently McKinty meets Winslow, right? And they meet at a conference. They get to talk. They get to become friendly. Winslow reads about this retirement. He calls his agent. His agent calls McKinty in the middle of the night and says, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're a great author. We really want to help you out. And he says, well, I've got a family to feed. I got bills to pay. And the agent says, I'll give you $10,000 and you keep writing and we're not going to talk about this and we're going to do this tonight. So he says, yeah, you know what? Let me think about it. Three in the morning, he gets up. He's got all these, you know, this thing and he starts writing. So he starts <laughs> writing this manuscript. The right? ideas start flowing. And he's pounding it out and he's going and he sends this off to the agent. The agent calls him back like three or four hours later and he's like, 
you got to write this book. You have got to write this book. It is amazing. I need you to finish it. And I'm going to send you money and we're going to do all this and you're going to have to write this book. So now this is like two years later and they, the agent managed to get him, I got the, the, the right, a six-figure deal, right? Mm-hmm. And then last week he ended up with a seven-figure film deal from Paramount. And the book that he's written, and I had seen this, right, because I love Adrian McKinty, the book is called The Chain, right? So it's about a woman. She gets a phone call and basically the person says, my child's been kidnapped and in oh, order for me okay. to get her back... I have kidnapped your child. And so now you have to go out and you have to kidnap somebody else's child in order to get your child back. Wow. And it's like a chain letter. That's creepy. But now it is a chain of events. And it's about... I'm already casting it in my head. I see Sandra Bullock. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) I am so excited about this book. So the book is actually... um, It's actually on bookshelves now. It was released July 9th, the hardcover. Cool. So check out The Chain. Keep Adrian McKinty alive. I know. This is awesome. It's such a cool story. Yeah, that is a good story. He just randomly meets somebody. And isn't it amazing that people believe in you? I think it's so cool. Yeah. Like he, but you know, it was, it comes back to what Matt, our, our uh, Matt Fillion, our friend Matt Fillion was saying that, you know, authors aren't making a lot of, no. of money these days. And no, here's unless a guy. You're James Patterson or, or Janet Ivanovich that churn them out like butter. I mean, yeah. You right. Know. And here's this guy who's a, who's, you know, churning out books and he's getting great reviews and he's getting prizes. And he's but you can't pay the rent with prizes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I am so glad that we're going to be seeing more from him. That's and I awesome. I cannot wait to read that book. It sounds amazing. That is awesome. Right? It's a great story. Yeah. Great story. And you know what? You could have read it on our Facebook page. That's right. But you can go back you and can read, still it, read it. Yes, yeah. You can go back you and can read still it. Go, we, we urge you to go back and read it. <laughs> so I have um, I have a new great niece, grand niece, great niece. My niece has a daughter, has a, a just had a, another baby. A great niece. Great niece. Okay. So I, that's what I, w- I said. I used to be a cool, the cool aunt. Now I'm, now I'm a great aunt. So I uh, know. <laughs> I just Come got on, it. I'm looking funny. at her going, what? Yeah. She talking about? Oh, cool she got, got it. Now <laughs> I'm a great aunt. So anyway, oh, she's a couple oh. of months old now and she's a real cutie and I'm always thinking, all right, I need to send Olivia something. What should I send Olivia? Well, I know what I'm sending her she's now. She's the book auntie. <laughs> I'm the book auntie. I did say that. I was like, you'll always, I will always be the, the boring aunt sending you books. Sorry. <laughs> yep. Um, now I know what to send her though. Metallica has announced they are releasing an illustrated children's book, The ABCs <laughs> of Metallica. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that just makes me so ridiculously happy because can't you just see, you know, F is for fade to black. C is for creeping death. I mean, ex- what exactly are they going to? I want to know what the You're ABCs scar of the Metallica is to death. Jeffrey, my brother Jeffrey, totally would have given this to his daughter Allison. T is for toke. Yeah. <laughs> just love I love it I love this idea I think it's I think we should have them for all it couldn't be any worse than the Gashley Crumb Tinies do you know the Gashley Crumb Tinies I shouldn't have said this before I looked it up I used to be able to do them by heart so Edward Gorey is one of my favorite 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 people in the whole wide world and he wrote the Gashley Crumb Tinies a million years ago Um, and it's it's an alphabet I used to have the poster hanging in my wall it's an alphabet so it's it's, I can only do the first couple ones. A is for Alice, who fell down the stairs. B was for Basil, assaulted by bears. And the whole thing is like these horrible ways of children dying. Because <laughs> nothing says children's books know. like loving from the end. But oven. if you know Edward Gorey, you just, that's just par for the course for him. So if you've ever watched Masterpiece Mystery on Channel 2, 
um, the cartoon intro in the beginning. Oh, is that him? Where they go, whoa, you have the woman on the top of the yep, building. Yep. Yes, that's Edward Gorey. Oh, Gorey. that's great. That's Edward Gorey. That's yeah. great. So that's a, that's classic That's Edward hilarious. Gorey. So my other news was, uh, this is interesting, and um, I just think this is, I think this is, they should have done more research on this man. So author T.J. Martinson um, was going to teach at... I don't know if I say this right, Olivet Nazarene University. It's outside of Chicago, 50 miles or so outside of Chicago. Uh, apparently it's a religious school. So he would have been like third generation. His grandparents met there. His parents went there. He didn't go there, but he was going to teach there. He got an offer to teach and, and he accepted it. He was very excited. Two months after they gave him the job offer, they wrote to him to rescind said job offer <gasps> on June, 20, June 28th because his book, um, Reign of the Fisher King, had come out. Oh, actually, it had been out for two months when they hired him, but apparently they did not Someone research. Someone didn't do his, the research. And they said, we're sorry, they, but your book, um, the, uh, apparently the profanity, what does it say? The com- they were citing the complaints that his novel... Um, contradicted the their, the school's religious doctrine because of its profanity and other elements. It didn't say what. The so other I guess if you're were. religious, you can't swear. Is that it? Apparently not. You can't say a cuss word. No, or okay. you can't swear as bad. So I looked up because I wasn't sure what Rain of the Kisher <laughs> thing so was. Silly. It's basically it's a superhero novel. Oh um, my goodness! Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. So I looked it up because I wasn't sure. If you're religious, folks, you can't read superhero stuff and you can't cuss. Somewhere in Chicago, a room full of people have been taken hostage. The hostages will. Be killed one by one. The mask gunman says on stay on screen. Unless the police will admit that they faked the death of the legendary superhero called the Fisher King and help to give him and help to give up his defense of the city 30 years ago. Oh, just forget it. This sounds like a good book. I know. It actually sounds like a great book. Um, But yeah, they fired this dude because they said, we're sorry, your book is in conflict with our religious doctrine. So I'm really, I'm not sure. So they paid him. They paid him for a year. But he can't teach. And I'm, I'm not really sure how you feel about that. I feel like you should have done your research. That's and not fair. you paid him to teach writing in English. And, and which he obviously can do. And he's, yeah, he's a published author. And I mean, you've got lots of kids that go to Catholic school that aren't even Catholic. Oh, God. So no, they don't. Doesn't no. that conflict with your religious doctrine? Or, well, I suppose you're hoping to convert them. You could save his soul. That's awful, though. Like, you have a, a teacher who obviously, he's got a, so he's got, He's got a con. It looks like he's got a book contract, and yeah, he's he, published. It's out. You can you can go get it. You can go get it, and he's gotten some good reviews, and so he's gotten some great reviews. That's yeah. really so horrible that this poor guy. It really does suck. He must yeah. be like so excited, like oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my you know a dream job. I've got like I got my book out. I'm a writer. Maybe it. Everything's good. College professor. And then somebody calls you up and is like, nah, yeah, you mm. know what? We messed up. Sorry. We got to take that. No, I mean, part of me would would laugh. I'd be like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But on the other hand, salary, I would be angry. I'd be like, you know what? Your salary doesn't cut it. I'm going to yeah. sue you for breach of contract. Breach of contract. That's horrible. That's hard. You know what? People go out. Here's the best revenge. Go out and buy his book. Buy his book. Yeah. And send them a message and say, Absolutely. hey, guess what we just bought? And then write to the college and go, wow, I just read this really great book. It's you should bad. get this guy. It's too bad you didn't keep him. <laughs> too bad you didn't hire him. <laughs> too bad. That's horrible. I know. That's I know. awful. Oh, well, we're going to write about our new favorite book. No, what, I, we're, I'm sure it will be. We're going we're gonna, to um, talk to Dan in a little bit. Talk to Dan in a little oh, hey, bit. What are, you, um, what are you reading? What's oh, on God, your, what's, what am I reading? What are you reading? So I just 
I feel like you finished, you finish, and you finish. What do you got? I'm trying to think of what I did. I have you I just finished, finished anything? So I did. I'm trying to remember what I just finished. I don't even remember because I I didn't read anything. I was on vacation. I didn't take anything. I did take a book with me, but I didn't read while I was on vacation. But I just got what? Sum- I know because there was just so much other stuff going on. Yeah. I just got um, Sue Miller's The Arsonist out of the library. Oh, okay. So um, I think that's on my book list. Uh, writer, newspaper reporter, moves back to her hometown reluctantly, starts dating. <laughs> They're never like I doing know nobody that. ever wants no, to go back to their hometown. To um, she starts. She's kind of a loner, but she starts dating uh, the fire chief. And right about the same time that she moves home, a arsons. rash of arsons. Guess start. who they think did it? Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering. Probably her. So, um, so yeah. So I've picked this. It's one of these books I've picked up and looked at a couple of times and haven't taken out. And then I thought, you know what? I th- I'm just going to give this a shot. Let's read well, this. Well, like Chris was on vacation. I decided to pick up Under the Dome, which by <laughs> Stephen King, which I decided I'm going to, I'm going to, I have read 7,000 pages between the five Game of Thrones and the two Stephen King ginormous. It's a lot of freaking pages. Not ginormous novels that I've read now. It, it was, it was good. It was good. I didn't like the fact that the hero, did, the the villain of the piece, didn't really get it in the end. Like yeah. he needed to die a horrible, a horrible death, and he didn't. But and then there, um, so then I now I'm watching the the CBS thing on Net, yep. Netflix or Amazon. One of them has I don't remember which one, but yeah, and it's like nothing alike. So no. I laugh, I laugh a no lot about it. it. I'm yeah. like, oh, look at that character. That's how I felt when I was reading um, Blue Sky. Um, I'll always be your blue sky. There was, I guess he was the, he was the, um, he was the creep of the book, um, the anti-hero. <laughs> the yeah, and I felt like they let him off too easy. Uh, right? He was, he was a, he was a stalker. He was, he was attacking. He was going to attack this woman. And the end, it's just like, oh, I'll go get help and it'll all be fine. I'm like, I really mm. need. I think yeah, need, that is not how that works. The villain. If you have a really good villain and you have a creepy villain and you have a villain people are beginning to really hate and oh my gosh i can't believe this guy's doing yeah. this you want them to have a good I want him, death. yeah he i mean they didn't even have to kill him off but he needed to it, he needed to be arrested at the very least <laughs> i mean he Something was he was completely harassing and stalking this girl and he was had obviously had alcohol problems and other problems and then yeah in the end of the book they just sort of totally let him off and one I was of my like, least, that is not a good message people one of my least favorite things is when you have a book that is a lot of pages and i'm not just saying i'm not saying stephen king does this but I mean, there are a lot of authors who they will build up a book and they will build it and build it and build it. And then you you get these like last hundred pages where they fly through the end yeah. and they come up with something. And you're like, what? Wait, what Wait. happened? Yeah. How did that happen? What did yeah. you needed to sort of, you know, take it easy and finish. Yeah. Finish the book Sail away or, you know, do something. I know. That's bad, edi- that's bad editing. Yeah, my opinion. Like so, so I decided after this I was going to read something else. So I'm beginning the a trilogy by Peter F. Hamilton um, called, this is The the Dreaming Void is the first book. Oh. And um, it is a trilogy after his Commonwealth trilogy where he has Pandora's Star and Judas Unchained. And you have got, if you like sci-fi and you like epic sci-fi, wow, like you you won't be able to put them down. Mm, and then, this, okay. so this is like the, the, the trilogy that he did afterward and he's got two more. Um, in the same universe, but I've picked up this book several times 
and I don't know what it, you know, what it is. Isn't it funny when you do that? I've done that. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to read sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, I don't I'm not in the read. mood. I have to be in the mood to read certain books. Yeah. So I yeah. picked it up this time and I was like, yep, I'm in the mood. I'm ready for some like serious oh, sci-fi. I just, that's what I just finished. Where the Crawdads Sing. That, oh, okay. Because we were talking yeah. about that and you were saying. Well, I did like it. That she liked it kind of. Yeah. I felt like, ugh, I just felt like it's like, I don't need to hear the marsh described Again. I love it. I love the poetry. I love the descriptions, but it's like every page is this vast description of the marsh. I get it. She lives in the marsh. She's isolated. We get that. We got that by page five. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, and there are some things that are just a little bit, I feel like stretch the imagination. Um, but it was good. And the ending, the ending had a nice little twist to it. Sometimes, so that was good. Okay, so sometimes you get people who write gigantic novels and can't seem to finish it well. Yeah. And then sometimes you get people who write big books and you think to yourself, we could have lifted this entire section right out. Yeah. So I'm going to say this and probably Will will hurt me if he ever hears this, but the last Harry Potter book is kind of like that, the Deathly Hallows. We actually would just... Talk, no, I was telling my niece about that because she's as big a Harry Potter fan And I as felt well as. like... You get to the middle and they're in yeah. the woods and I know there's they a lot of They spend stuff. so much time in the woods. And they're not doing anything? No. They're just in the woods talking. I they thought, made two movies out of the fact that they were in the woods. Right. I felt like that whole section could have been lifted yeah. out, maybe a chapter or something. And yeah, I thought, well, this is kind of useless. I think, is that the editor in us? Does that... Maybe. I you know, know. We're like, you know... Like, and being newspaper, we tend to write... We're like, write shorter. Tight, short. Right, put short. a period on it. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. That'll be interesting. So we'll have to ask Dan. And Dan, Dan's t- it's a little hefty tomb. So we'll ask him how he. Uh, I'm I'm curious to hear his writing process. I'm always curious to hear people's writing processes. What they, mm. how they do it. What they, you know. I don't know how we got the idea for this book. Yeah, me too. Well, I mean, uh, you could tell he just by reading it. He's, yeah, he's a car guy. He's a and gearhead. He's, he's sort of a self-made car guy. He says nobody else in his family sort of had this tendency. <gasps> he doesn't really know where it came from. So that's pretty be cool. interesting. And Jenny, a colleague of ours who who has already spoken to him, we need to ask him about teaching his daughter how he taught his daughter to drive because she said that's like one of the best stories he has. Awesome. Yeah. So, so and everybody you know, knows what that feels like when your parents teach oh you to drive. Oh my goodness. Ooh. But this yeah. is from the other side. So <laughs> hey, uh, we need you to hold on because we'll be right back with uh, Dan Albert. Hey, welcome back to Book Nation. I'm Nell Coakley. I'm Chris Stevens and we have a special, special guest, guest today. today. Yes. Um, we're we're going gonna to be talking about cars. Are you a gearhead? I'm not a gearhead, but I am a car. I'm a car lover. I'm a, I'm a car guy, um, which is one of the things I want to talk to Dan about. So our guest today is Dan, Dan Albert, Albert. A Marblehead author who has written "Are We There Yet?" Which I think I just love the title because who hasn't sat in a car and said that? Dan, are we there yet? <laughs> are we there yet? Hi, Dan. Hello. Good to be Welcome with to you. Book Nation. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. So we're talking about the American automobile past, present, and driverless. And I'm going to admit, I got. Lots of mixed feelings Wait, on the driverless I cars. I want to ask him what car this is on the front of the bucket. It's so very interesting. We yeah, you should up. ask that. Did you? Okay, yeah, looked, so you know it is it a up. Dodge Charger. It's a Dodge Charger. But it's, it's like a, a Batman car. It's a custom car. It's a, uh, See, that's a it. show car. I couldn't figure out the year. I'm thinking it's not really a 70. It looks like 70s, but it's got these little custom pieces on it. That's exactly I right. I totally couldn't figure out the year on it. It looks and like I, the Batmobile. It, 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 it does. It's that same. Yep. It's that same idea. And and I have to admit, you know, the cover designer came up with it, and I had That's to cool. look it up myself because I knew it was a Dodge Charger, but it's it's a uh, concept car. It's a show car oh, that okay. Dodge put on. It's, it's so neat. Yeah. It really is a beautiful car. 
I love also that his dedication in the front of the book is in honor and memory of loving memory of the cars that he has owned, <laughs> which made yeah. me think, and I actually made a list of all the cars that I've owned. Good, oh my good. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I don't think I've owned that many. So tell us, tell us about the book. Tell us about the concept. How did you come about? How'd you get the idea? Right. So um, I got the idea, I would say, because I got tired of my dissertation after I'd finished it. <laughs> and I kind of fell out of love with the whole academic history thing in uh-huh. the sense that I felt like, you know, over time we create a, a body of literature in academia. But I just didn't have time for that. I really wanted to cover all of this <laughs> I stuff. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. No, I didn't. It, what was it on? Can we ask? Oh, the dissertation was on uh, driver safety. So, the, oh, okay. you know, a lot okay. of people think about Ralph Nader yep. um, and, and, you know, seatbelts and airbags. That's right. Unsafe at any speed, yeah. the, the Corvair. But there's a whole uh, history before that, and it was all about how can we make people behave better on the road. And that had all kinds of kind of uh, social consequences and, and policing consequences yeah. and things. Cool. That's what I studied, yeah. But, you know, I, I I mean, there's a lot of different pieces to the book. Some of it is kind of more academic history written, hopefully, in a, in a lively style. But some of it's very personal, talking about uh, my own experiences yeah, of driving and fixing cars and, stuff and road that, trips. Which are fun to hear. Yeah. And I love the fact that you weren't born into sort of a car guy family, were you? You're the holdout. You're the... <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. And, <laughs> the you black know. sheep, so to speak. Did you come to it late? I did. I mean, I came to it soon after I was 16, and I talk about how bad I was at it, you know. Like, uh, the first time I, you know, I would always check the oil, because, you know, you're supposed to check your oil. So, sure. so in the menu, not that most people do, but I was going to be a good, you know, car guy. I was going to be a good driver, so I checked my oil. It was never down, right? And I get disappointed. And then finally, one day, <laughs> I go to the gas station, I pop up the hood of the station wagon, I check the oil, and it's down. I'm like, great. I get Yay. to go you go in, you buy my oil, and I pour it in. And the guy says to me, uh, he's kind of looking over my shoulder. He says, um, you're putting oil in there. I'm like, yeah, it was down. He's like, yeah, that's the power steering reservoir you're putting it in. <laughs> okay. He said, oh, don't worry oh, about man. it. They're kind of the same. And I was like, oh, geez. So that was, and I made lots of mistakes. Yeah, lots of mistakes. You. I you think know? my dad showed me that once. He was like, here's how you check the oil. I was like, okay, whatever. Like, aren't there people who do that for you? <laughs> I, probably up until maybe 10 years ago. That would be the first question my father ever asked me on the phone. Hey, how you doing? Checked out on your car lately? <laughs> always, always. I'm like, and had you? I'm like, well, you, actually, I was no. Pretty, no, I was pretty. Are you kidding me? I brothers and fo- yeah, I was pretty good at. It. I was pretty good. When I was in college, I owned a Volkswagen. I could change my own oil. That was like that's yes. so impressive. I'm so yeah. impressed by well, her. Most wagons were easy. <laughs> you pull out the back seat, and there it is. It, yeah. it was easy. But then you got all environmental, and it's like, what do you do with the oil now? Now I would never do it now because what do you do with it? And it, now I probably couldn't. The car engines have changed, so and much. you don't have just, to do it so much. You can't no. just no. sweep yeah. it into the uh, oil gutter. Now you can't just throw it away like anymore. Could, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you sort of evolved into this. I did. I really wanted to. Uh, tell a big story about, you know, American automobile history, which is what I, I wrote about, um, but tell it in a way that people would actually pick up a book and read it at a bookstore and go, oh, yeah, no, I can get engaged with that. I wanted to, um, I always sort of say, write a car book for people who don't have any interest in cars, along with the people who have interest in cars, I should say. But, you know, reach a wider audience yeah. and get get this conversation going. Because there are all levels of, like, being a, a car enthusiast. You can... 
just look at them and go, they're so pretty. Or, they, or then you really get into and you know all the minutia about every single thing about cars. Well, that's what you, you talk about that in the book, about your, like your daughter, as you consider sort of a stealth Car that's guy. <laughs> right. That's right. I talk about you know there's sort of I call them incognito car guys, yeah, and it's it, it, yeah. to me it's a gender neutral term as yeah. you know you've you've shown um, the the idea of a gearhead, and as you say, you know the um, you know there are people who watch races, there are people who go to car shows and look at beautiful cars, there are people who just have memories of their old Volkswagen or their old uh, you know Cadillac or whatever it is. So people engage with automobiles in all kinds of different ways. Even people that sort of have, you know, oh, I drive a Prius, I don't really care about it, I don't know. They're, they're still doing something sure. and, and thinking something about themselves and presenting something. Because they unless they're like me and just went out, you know, and buy the cheap, the car you can afford, they thought about buying that Prius. That's I mean, right. That, that's, that's especially right. like a Prius. That's something you think about. That's right. Just yeah. Buy that, yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I my dad was a car guy. I mean, he always was tinkering. He was always working on cars. So you've been around cars your yeah, whole life. I have. We have. Uh, I could not even begin to tell you the number of cars my family has had. Yeah. My mom put together years ago a photo album, The Wheels and Deals of Jim Carnwright, because <laughs> my dad would just come home with a new car. Yeah. We'd be like, what happened? I noticed one of yours was an old, co- an old Cutlass. We had an oh, old yeah. Cutlass at one time. That's right. I'd be like, well, what happened to the Oldsmobile? I kind of like the Oldsmobile. My dad's like, yeah, yeah, but then I saw this. And he would trade cars with friends. Sometimes we'd just have cars for couple of weeks they disappear we get another car i don't understand that yeah, my, just, my, like my my brows are wrinkled i'm yeah. like i don't know i don't get it no we just well, i don't know my dad was a car guy he loved cars and you know my dad trucks like to drive cars he still likes to drive you know uh cars my mother likes to drive she had a, a 85 sob i talk about that in the book yeah. some um and yet nobody got their fingernails dirty in my house or any of my friends. And that's been sort of one of my disappointments. And it's class-based, and it's sort of where you grew up and so forth. I, say, I grew you up in, in rural New Hampshire. And when you grow up sort of in small towns like that, there are two things you always know. Somebody who can cut your hair and somebody who can fix your car for there you. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's so very it, true. It comes in very handy. <laughs> and, you know, you bring up an interesting point about who can fix your car. You know, we can, we can go on Yelp and stuff or whatever and find a restaurant. People are still very particular about who, oh, I trust this guy. Oh, totally. don't go there. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God, yeah. Oh, I like, do. I've gone to the same mechanic for years. I totally, I love the guy. We went to the same garage for years, and then he sold it, which my father was like, God rest his soul, was like, oh, my God, he sold it. I yeah, Pudgy's goes out of business. I don't know what I'm going to oh, do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then they, they sold it, but I love the crew that's there now. The guys who are there now, like, are just amazing. And they always do such a great job. Like, it's done. It's done right. They don't yeah. particularly tell you, like, it's not going to be one price you get there, it's another. And that's the flip side of all of this, isn't yeah. Part of the reason we have this mechanic we trust is there are all these untrustworthy mechanics. Mm-hmm. And that goes all the way back to the, to the earliest mechanics because they were chauffeurs. So, you, you sure. know, rich guys had a, had a guy who, you know, took care of the car all the time, drove the car for them. And they would do things like... Well, the boss isn't around. Let's go for a joyride, right? Or they'd go down to town and, and look fancy and all of that. So they were being crafty. And they were in this kind of new relationship with the boss yeah. that they didn't have when they were just kind of stablemen looking after horses. That's crazy. Yeah, it's cool never, to yeah, sort of think about, about it. But you're right. Yeah. I have to admit now like that I am a, I'm a closet uh, car person. And it's so weird how it happened. It was, um, it was my husband's fault. Not that he's a particular car guy. Like, his brother is a mechanic and is a car guy. 
and his middle brother is kind of a car guy. And my husband was just like, I drive cars and wreck them. That's what I do because they always <laughs> seem to fall apart. So I was never into cars, but then we sort of got into a car show. I'll say it was Top Gear. Now it's the Grand oh, Tour. Oh, yeah, that was a great show. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Oh, you got into watching it. Yeah, I got into oh, watching okay. it. But now uh-huh. I sort of like go, that's such a cool car or what a cool. Okay, I can't fix them, but I am one of and, those people who are like, right. what a yeah. beautiful car. And I can appreciate oh, yeah. that now as opposed to, you know. Not really. Before, I was just like, yeah, that thing drives. It's good yeah, to go. Absolutely. And again, and again, you know, people talk gearhead. People say car guy. There are so many different denominations, uh, <laughs> right? So many different, <laughs> right? So many different churches. Um, I, my wife, I got her a stick shift BMW 2000. I don't drive it. I mean, occasionally I do, but I can't be trusted driving. And I have an old <laughs> pickup truck, which goes slow, right? So I, I am very much about a stock vehicle. Like I've had old vehicles. I would yep. never get into hot rodding or anything like that. That's just who I am. That's what my I am. I'm a historian. do a lot. No. My brother had a Camaro for a while, um, but we didn't do hot rod so much. More uh, classic cars. We had a 39 yeah. Chevy for a while. Right. Um, we did have an old Fiat that I got to drive when I was in high school. It was like Ooh, a 1960 was something. I can't remember yeah. what it was. Like the that tiny one? Yes, very yes. tiny. I could have gotten lost under a tractor trailer truck. There you go. I was a little nervous riding it on the highway, but it was awesome to yeah. bomb around in. Yeah. <laughs> My <laughs> father has, like, we we immigrated to the to the U.S. in the like late 70s, so... My father, when he learned to drive, he'd never driven because we were from Portugal, so he never drove there. You walked everywhere or you, you know, right. did stuff. And right. so he learned to drive, and he, he got this big boat of a car. I can't even – it was white. I don't even know what it was. But then he got the money to buy his first car, and he bought this silver Chevy Chevette, which I ended up with like wow. in my teens. Right. My mom had a Chevy Chevette. My father loved that car. My mother used to say – he would be out washing it and waxing it and like – my mother was always like, he's out with the car. He loves that car more than he loves me. That was the first car I ever drove. It was a Chevy Chevette. There you go. Everybody uh, has memories was, of their first car. It was in a driver's ed class, and they had two steering wheels, and the <laughs> gas pedal was missing. Like, there was just this little rod. And as soon as I got in the car, we were supposed to, it was supposed to be me and another student, but the other student hadn't shown up. So he's like, okay, we're getting on the beltway, the big highway. Like, literally, Whoa. out of the parking lot, okay, take the ramp. And I remember oh he kept God. saying to me, keep up with traffic, keep up. I'm like, I'm driving a Chevette, and you're telling me to keep up with traffic. It's hard. Even then, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. You know, that's a good question. I don't know. What's what your my, first car? That might have been my first car, too, because my mom had a Chevette. I'm trying to think, remember what my they dad were very was popular. driving. Yeah, I don't know what my dad was driving then. But when I got my license... The day I got my license, I did get it in a Chevette. The first thing I drove after my license was my brother's Super Brat. My brother had a Super oh, Brat. Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah, they were cute little things. And it was a standard. It was stick shift. And it, he was like, I got home from school, and he's like, aren't you going out? You just got your license. You know, why, how come you're not going out? I was like, because I got to wait for mom to get home. I don't have a car to drive. He's like, take mine. I was like, Michael, I've never driven a standard. Right. I don't drive That's a stick right. shift. But I knew I'd drive a motorcycle. And he said, Ooh. yeah, we grew up on motorcycles. He said, you, he goes, you couldn't drive a motorcycle. He goes, no, you look at her, right? You go, I, I had no, no idea. idea. Yeah. And uh, he goes, you know, I drive a motorcycle. He goes, just remember the clutches on the handle, not on the, you know, you the go. clutches on the, on floor, the floor, not on the not, handle. Right, right. He's like, it's, a, it's the same concept. And I was like, all right, it's your car. So, yeah, I went out well, you, you and bring up we a figured it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you figure it out. Um, I saw this uh, um, thing, I guess it was online, you know, a uh, uh, 
sticker on the back of a car and it showed the picture of the pattern, you know, of the stick shift, yeah. right? And it said millennial anti-theft device, right? <laughs> but I'll tell you two quick stories about the Subaru Brat and then also the Chevette. So the Brat, I don't know if you had these, but in the back were the two little jump seats. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So the, so the Subaru Brat is a little monocoque um, pickup truck. Yep. But it had two little seats in the back, plastic blow-molded seats. awesome. With ski poles. <laughs> yes. Right? You know, you to hold were, on to them. You were supposed to hold <laughs> on God. to them. Yeah, it was great. Now, did you, I know it was great, but did you ever think about how stupid that was? Oh, my God. So dangerous. <laughs> right. Unbelievably dangerous. So the reason they were there is uh, what's called the chicken tax. The um, Germans were making the Volkswagen uh, Rabbit pickup truck, and the Germans had put a tariff on frozen chickens coming from the U.S., so the U.S. retaliated with a 25% tariff on imported pickup trucks. But with two extra seats in the bed, the Japanese, the Subaru, figured out, well, that's not really a pickup truck, oh. according to the law. So they put them in the back there, and they got away with it for that's years. That's hilarious. Yeah. Now, the Chevette is a great example of kind of how Detroit just never got it with the idea of small cars, <laughs> right? So they were like, okay, all these small Japanese cars are coming in. Oh, we can do that. And they took uh, – the Chevette was actually an Opel, part of General Motors at the time from Germany. And they stuck a big engine in the front. It was still rear-wheel drive, and it was heavy, and it was slow. Yeah. And the other one's the Ford Pinto. Yeah, oh, which, my God, the Pinto. Uh, right? I mean, the Pinto's just a joke, right? <laughs> it's a horrible um, car. But, yeah, they were terrible cars. And and it was sort of like electric cars now. GM and Ford, they didn't particularly want to sell these. The profits on them were lousy because, you know, it cost almost as much to make a Pinto as, as a, you know, a pickup truck or a Cadillac or any of these other sure. things. Um, but the sale price is a lot lower. So they were kind of like, you don't really want a Chevette. You want this. Well, if you can't afford it, you can have a Chevette. Yeah. You know? That's yeah. such a great story. Now I know more. That is crazy. So, Dan, what, so what was your the first one you actually bought for yourself? Like you were. Well, okay. So the first car I drove personally was you know my parents hand me down station wagon. Yeah, everybody which, gets the parent. Yep. Car. Which I love. Except Chris, apparently. <laughs> no. Um, well, no. Um, station wagon. Yes. Nell did not know the term the way back. <sighs> I oh my gosh. No. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, there has to be other people who are listening to this. I've never met anyone who Explain didn't know that. Explain the term. way back, Christy. <laughs> so, you know, there's the front seat, there's the back seat, and there's, and the, there's way the way back. back. Yeah. yeah. She's sitting in the way too. back. I thought like she was talking about the way back machine. No, Mr. I told you yeah. it wasn't. It had nothing to do with Mr. Peabody and Trimmy. And there was, a, there was a movie a little while ago, yes. right? It was called The Way, the way, way the Back. The Way, Way Back. That was, a great, that was kind of a good movie. Actually. It was a very good movie, yeah. except I got very upset. By the title, <laughs> right? Because what is the way way back? There is no way way back, right? There's the There's way outside back. Outside the car, that's right. yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. it. You're that's running you're outside the car. Yeah, you were yeah. way 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 back. Yeah. You were outside the car. But so I had this big, you know, huge VA, twenty foot long, nineteen seventy five Oldsmobile wagon with the uh, wooden stick on oh, wooden yeah. uh, oh paneling. Oh my god! I remember and that. And it yes. had something which is still very famous: the clamshell uh, tailgate. And this was a huge innovation. You know, one of these great things GM came up with, and they had them on the Chevys and the Buicks and everything. The tailgate, instead of flipping down, and you mm -hmm. know, like tailgate party, that's yeah. where it comes from, it was electric, and it would slide down and disappear. <gasps> 
and the rear window would slide up and disappear into the roof. I do not remember those. Oh, and I, you know, it broke when I was, you know, 17. <laughs> I went to a junkyard. I got new chrome switches. I That was like the first thing I, I fixed because that was, that was had to have that. the thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, that was. And then, again, one day, you know, just like you, one day I came home and uh, it was gone. I came home from college. And it wasn't in the driveway. There was just a rust spot where it had been. (laughs) And my father had said, oh, it was rusted. I was like, well, you know, so what? You know, some but of my best like friends are rusted. I used that Chevette to the, part, to the point where it had no floor. It's just like a, a hole there, and the mechanic yeah. had to, like, put something on there and fix it because my father was like, you're going to step into the road. You're going to die. This is not safe. But, I, yeah, I used it until I couldn't use it anymore. And then I got – he thought I was going to get stuck with his – his second hand-me-down car, and I was like, I'm buying myself a car. Oh. And sadly, I bought a cute car. I bought a um, Plymouth Neon, or is it a Dodge Neon? Oh, yeah. I had a Neon. neon. Yeah, I had a Neon. neon. No, they were cute. They cute. were cute, but they were horrible. Yeah, they were terrible, too. Yeah. <laughs> I looked yeah. cute driving it, and there at that go. age, you're like, I don't care what the... What it, you know, what the features are. I just want to look cute driving You want to look good. That's important. Good. Very important. Yeah. So what's the car that you own that you're... That you're, or do you, did you ever own a car where you go, I can't believe I own this car? Or I don't want to say that you're embarrassed that you, I had a gremlin. My father forced a gremlin on me. Well, the gremlin is like the Pinto and yeah. the others. The gremlin was a full-size car. It they chopped the trunk beast. off and they were just stuck with this horrible, horrible car. What's a gremlin? Is this, is this the... Well, I, can you imagine calling a car a gremlin? So this was a... This was the AMC, American Motors Corporation version of the Chevette, basically. Okay, I think I know yeah. what that is. It's like, the, it's like the El Camino. Like People say that. I'm like, what does that look like? And then I have to see the car, and I go, oh, my uh, God. My mother drove an El Camino for years. Well, Chris's family has had all these weird cars. <laughs> the weirdest car I ever wanted, which I never got, is the AMC Pacer. Which is the Gremlin, but with a spacious. Yep, and they. Okay, I think I know what. I always thought that was kind of cool looking. I thought it was awesome, and this was you know the seventies, and it was you know uh, uh, Skylab. They had the commercial with like the big hero sandwich that was so much room in the back that you could put those giant heroes. That's right. You know now that you mention that. uh, The slogan was the only wide small car. And it was it was what it was. It was extra wide, you know. And it had those like, all glass windows. Yeah, it yep. had the glass. Yeah, lots of glass. When did we become like a? Do you think like a, a, a? I think like when you looked at old cars, they have the really cool fins and they have all the edges and the thing. When did we become a rounded society? I noticed every car yeah. now is like a little round. Yeah, a little round box. And they all look the same now. They right. All look the same. So that that started was one specific car, really, the Ford Taurus, and this was the '80s, and this was a huge oh change. Um, in in the eight, yeah, there you go. There's a picture. Chris is showing us a picture of a gremlin, and we'll put one on our Facebook site if you don't know what we're talking about. That was yeah. my neighbor. My neighbor had the little purple one. My mother had the blue denim one. Okay. Yeah. And the black. She also had two. She also had a black one that had the plaid inside, right. which actually kind of. Okay. When we share this on Facebook, we want you to share your your car photos with us too. Oh, that'd be everybody awesome. has car photos, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, I've got some in the book of mine. I've got yeah. my truck. I've got my, uh, you know, my Saab, which is another heartbreaker. But uh, round cars. Yeah, yeah. Oh, round cars. Right. So the Ford Taurus. So this was the first kind of modern American um, car. This was the first big leap forward from uh, being beaten to death by the Japanese and coming up with a, a different car that really worked. Uh oh. Now we're all going to laugh because we're looking at the AMC Pacer. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, it's a futuristic uh, yeah. Exactly. Car, I just exactly. thought that was the coolest car. 
<laughs> very, wow. very cool car. And, and, you know, it went out of favor quickly, and that yes, was a shame. Anyway, um, no, no, no. But the, so the Ford Taurus was aerodynamic and was all about, you know, America is back. And it really, you know, Taurus, it's the car for us. And it's the car America's been waiting for. And this was very much in the context of the Japanese just eating American lunch, eating Detroit's lunch of, you know, taking on more and more of the market. And this was a full-size American sedan. Uh, people either loved or hated this pretty radical new styling. People called it the jelly bean. Um, it had no no grill that you could see. So now, you know, grills go all the way back to when you had a radiator, big radiator in the front of the car. Mm -hmm. And it was just pipes. And you, they put a big, you know, screen in front of the pipes. And boom, you have a grill. Um, the way the Ford, uh, the way Ford did it was they really hid, you need air intake to go to that, to that radiator. That's what a grill is for. And they, uh, they hit it. They basically, it, it was very sneaky. The air came up underneath. So anyway, uh, that was really the big change. And then suddenly eighties, nineties, uh, cars all became jelly beans and got to some people boring. And yeah, there's no personality. That. I feel like yeah. definitely not when you look back at, like she said, the cars of the, the 50s and 60s and even the 30s and the 40s. Um, you know, they were just, they were, well, although they were they more rounded in the beginning as well. Right. Then in the 50s, I feel like they got the fins and the flares and all that stuff. But yeah, they had so much personality. Yeah, yeah. I remember when my friend, when a friend of mine had kids, he he had a really cool car and then all of a sudden he got married he had kids and he had to give it he didn't give it up i think he did give it up but um he he got a honda minivan and he just looked at me he was like i'm no longer cool i was like well we all get to that stage yeah. where because isn't the minivan the the sport the station wagon uh, it, well it oh, certainly cool. is i uh you know i drive a honda minivan mostly um i you know soccer carpool mm -hmm. uh to school and all of that it is the greatest thing. It was probably the only uh, new car we got as a family, and um, it's been the best thing ever. Um, you push a button, the doors slide open, the kid gets out and goes to school. And it's funny because now, um, you know, mothers don't want to have the minivan. As you say, it's uncool. And I talked to some mothers about why there was, and, and, and what they replace it with is these giant I, SUVs, right, where the kid has to basically climb Drive a gangplank to get into it, right? And even, you know, at school pickup, it's like you can't, there's little kids, and they're walking by, and the, and the hood is up tall of them, and they're very Absolutely. scary. Um, but what I found out, I couldn't understand this whole anti-minivan thing, and I found out it was never even occurred to me. These mothers were young enough that they had ridden in the way, way back, back of the minivans, <laughs> right? And so they didn't want their mother's car is basically yeah. what it is to them. Yeah, the mom mobile. Yeah. I loved ours. Our, my daughter has a weird thing where she names our cars. Uh-huh. Like a lot she's, of people do. Yeah, she yeah. names the car. The first, the minivan was called G. I don't know why. Just, okay. And then the second one, we have a Ford Fusion, which yeah. is about ready to die. And so she's gonna, she calls that Rocky. Rock and roll calls it Rocky. I'm like, that is the straight. Like, how, how, uh, how old is she? How long has she been doing this? She's 17. 17. She's 17, but yeah. so she's been doing this since she was little. That's right, yep. And I've talked to people, you know, I have these conversations, and there are two kinds of people, those who name their cars and those who yeah. just never don't, you know? Never never do. I think my Chevette was called Betsy after a while because it's just so old. I yeah. don't think my father ever sacrificed you know, we weren't a minivan. Well, they didn't. Minivans weren't a thing when I was a kid. Yeah, you had the station wagon, which we, is very, very briefly. So when I was a really little kid, when we had a station wagon. Because one of the things I'm really interested in is driving, and not like drive. race car driving. No, just driving. Right. Oh, I and, love to drive. And one of the um, arguments about 
driverless cars is, oh, uh, driving's a horrible chore. We're wasting huh? time. It's a black hole of life. But I see you shaking your I head. Why? What do you love about it? Freedom. Freedom. Absolutely. Okay, so I get on the road. I can go anywhere. I can I can be I can do anything. I love being on the road early in the morning when there's hardly any traffic. And you just or late at night when there's hardly any traffic and you just feel like it's it's a well it is, it's an open highway. You can go anywhere, you can get anywhere. It's just I love I just love the feeling. I love the same thing, but I, you know what I love? I love car trips. I love yes, I also road love, trips. I love meandering. I never yes. mind when I make a mistake. I don't. Because I'm right. like, oh, I've never been here before. I do too. I'm like, <laughs> uh, I'll, my, my, my husband used to hate this, but we used to go on Sunday drives when we were, when uh-huh. my daughter was, uh-huh. my kids my were younger. And we would just go on a Sunday drive and we would get lost. And I, he would hate that because he's like, where are we? What are we? I'm like, what do we care? Like, exactly. we found some great restaurants, some great places that, we, that we've loved over the years, but... I love a I love a road trip. I yeah. love driving and seeing yeah. places and stopping and which is why I don't like you know, somebody said to me once, you know, we drove to Florida about ooh, seven years ago and it was a whole family, you know, parents, grandkids, the whole thing. We all drove down and we had the greatest road trip and it was not so much the, you know, when are we gonna get there? Are we there yet? Are we gonna stop? I'm hungry. It was just that we could stop and we stopped in places we didn't even mean to stop. And we, you know, had such a great experience, you know, doing it. But you can't get that in a plane or, or no, or exactly. A, bus or a plane is almost like you've been teleported from one place yep. to another. No travel whatsoever. Yeah, it never, it never you know. ceases to amaze me. Train and bus, you just go. Oh, there it goes. Yeah, yeah. that's well, right. Well, just on a plane that, like you said, you're just sort of transported. I wake up in Massachusetts and I go to sleep and I'm like, man, I'm I'm in Florida. I'm in California. I'm in ta- this is so weird. Yeah. Well, she could play music. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> you can, music, and, and, well, there's nothing uh, better than a summer. Am I right, Dan? Yeah. Summer day, music cranked. There you go. Windows open. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, and I, I put a lot of pictures up on my website and I talk about it on the in the book. Um, you know, this epic road trip I took with my wife before she was my wife. Right. Yes. Right? And, and one of the things I hadn't thought about it at the time, obviously, is now with GPS, there's no reason to get lost. No. There's, right? And so you never... It is creating this um, world in which you can always point to the phone and say, oh, yes, we are exactly there, as opposed to what you're talking about earlier. And what I remember is, yeah, we're somewhere. I don't have anywhere specifically to be. It's not like I'm late for work. Yeah, Yeah, let's see what's here. Oh, my goodness. Look, there's a a fruit stand or some mom-and-pop tourist stop or whatever it is. And And that's serendipity, I think, is we're losing it. and, And it's another lost art. Because I can read a map. Oh, there you go. (laughs) I know a lot of people like can't read a map. That's right. And I learned to read a map because we did the epic, a friend of mine and I did the epic road trip too. We drove cross country. And Uh, just, you know, we were here, we were headed towards Arizona. And then for some reason we're like, let's go to Vegas instead, you know? So yeah. they're like, well, what did you do? I was like, oh, we just banged a right and went to Vegas. Yeah, we, we pulled we, out the map and figured out where we were. And <laughs> and it's interesting. There's two, there's two interesting things to me about that. One is people actually have studied the brain and done things with rats. And we all have, um, including the rats, I guess, two different maps in our head. One is um, turn left, Turn right, this kind of algorithm where you mm-hmm. figure out how to get there. You go right, you go left, you stop here, you turn there. And we also have this other bird's eye view map in our heads. 
But with GPS, they're finding that people are losing that uh, portion of the brain. And they did some. Isn't that wild, though? We when we went to we went to California several years ago, and this was our epic road trip. Like we started at one end in San Francisco and drove down and stopped along the way to um, San Diego. And the really cool thing was, we didn't do it with GPS. We did it with maps, and Mm. people were like. All our friends were flipping out. They're like, oh, my God, you did what? Were you crazy? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, it's, it's a map. It's not right. a, it's and, not and, a uh, uh, It was a great lecture I went to. A guy had um, studied, they call it the knowledge in London. You know, the, the cabbies have to know, and they have to take a huge test where they... Oh, this is the black uh, cabs? Right, the black cabs in London. They have to know. And you'll see, we lived in London for a while, you'll see guys riding around on motorcycles with this big map, and what they're doing is training up for this thing called the knowledge. And he studied the hypothalamus, the brains. He looked at the brains of these cabbies, and they were bigger than normal, bigger than average. And it's that knowledge literally... You know, in the neurons of the brain to see that is just fascinating. That is cool. Yeah. That is really cool. That is cool. Now it makes me want to take a road trip. See, we're planning ours. The One of the things my husband and I do when we go on vacation is we fly into one place and fly out of someplace and else. And we were looking. So we do yeah. a road trip. It, it's funny. Yeah, I love trip. doing that. Yeah. We, you know, my wife and I, we finally have a week where all the kids are gone and, uh, you know, crossing over their camps and things. So we're going to we're going to take a trip. First, we looked at London. We're like, oh man, you got to get the plane. Then we were thinking, oh Newfoundland, and finally we just decided that's too much trouble. We take the minivan and put whatever we want in it. There's no like, oh, I got to pack light. Pack as heavy as you yeah. like. Because you're right? in the car. Who cares? No, I'm in the car. Put an extra pair of shoes in. That's Nobody right. cares. Yeah, maybe <laughs> t- a tent, a bicycle, whatever yep. you want. And we're just no kids. Uh, yep, and no kids. Need. Nobody to say, are we there yet? Um, <laughs> and so yeah, yeah, right up to the. We'll just keep going north, Canadian Maritime, something like that, nice. and we'll come back when we want to come back. And yeah. we'll, right, Very and it's cool. just uh, yeah. That's a great. That's yeah. a great vacation. That's the cool yeah. thing about. Cars is like you can you you're driving you just you can get in and go today I'm heading north right I'll be driving for right. an hour and then now, I'll see where I am. The flip side is I'm going into Boston after this. I'm gonna take my pickup truck and pay forty dollars oh, and then I've got to come yeah. back out to to Marblehead and you know that'll be rush hour. And, and so what am I going like to do? A direct route. That's right, yeah. and especially going east west. City driving, right? And then there's yeah. like eh, the right. regular commute. There's, I think there's a difference between the two. Don't Even you? well, it's funny how many people. A lot of people say, "Oh, I hate to commute," and you know, you see these surveys, and that's like the worst part of their life. Other people say, "There's no kids. There's no <laughs> boss." And forced like, relaxation. I, it's forced relaxation. Got nowhere else to be. And you have this meditative state yeah. because it's not like you can just sit and worry about the world and and you know think I mean, about you other can, things. But there's nothing you can do about it, so why bother? But also, <laughs> a part of your brain has to actually be paying attention. Yes. Right. And this true. is one of the things with driverless cars. The boss is suddenly in the car with you because you don't have to drive, and you know you can. Tele, whatever, face chat, and you know. So, what are your thoughts yeah. on the future of cars and driverless cars? So, uh, it's interesting. When I started writing the book, um, it was they're coming soon, they'll be here next year, and all of that. I, um, I, and we're seeing from the industry itself people saying, actually, this turns out to be really hard. And, and again, one of the arguments oh, for driverless cars, yeah, but one of the things with driverless cars is, oh, humans are terrible drivers. And then they try to make a robot that doesn't, and they're like, oh, wow, that's really hard. But nobody says, oh, look, humans are great drivers. Look yeah. how amazing they are. But that's really true. You know, there's, there's, Some people are better drivers than others. <laughs> That's absolutely true yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
I, I don't even, you know, I, I like to say I predict the past, not the future, because I'm a historian. But I pay more attention to the kind of driverless cars we're getting. Because in the 50s, General Motors and RCA showed off driverless cars. In the 90s, there was a government program called um, uh, Automated Highway Systems. And in a sense, it was very simple. It was, you know, kind of a wire in the road. There are different kinds, magnets and special paints and whatever. But the car just kind of sniffs out the lane Mm -hmm. and stays in the lane. Uh, has kind of radars and sensors so it doesn't bump into anything else. And if you think about that problem, all it has to do is say, oh, don't be in the same place as something else, right? <laughs> but that's sure. not what we're trying to do now. Yeah. What what um, Google and, and Uber, they want them to do everything on their own. And that yeah. comes out of a specific, a particular history. And in the, in the early 2000s, the Defense Department wanted driverless trucks particularly um, to take gas to the front line and stuff because you don't want people dying driving trucks. And so if you think about it, you can't be sniffing out lane markers in Iraq, right? There's probably a bomb there. Uh, (laughs) So they wanted something that would do what now they're trying to commercialize. But are you a fan? Are you interested in them at all? Um, Or maybe from an academic standpoint? I I mean, I'm certainly interested in the idea of um, of thinking about what the world of driverless cars looks like. And a lot of people are trying to promote it as something better. And in reality, I think you're going to see... And, and they're saying, oh, there'll be less traffic because people can share cars. I get a ride, People can share cars now, but they don't. <laughs> they don't. People don't want to carpool. No. Americans have never carpooled unless it's, you know, desperate. Forced. Um, so that's, you know, I don't see that happening. Even Uber pool, the uh, Uber where yep. they take you from one place to another, people are like, this is terrible. Um and you're also going to have to have what they call deadheading cars that are empty, right? So the car itself may be driving from one place to another, but there's nobody, but no there's passenger in it. Like a taxi. Right, like a taxi. Uh, and, and so you end up with more traffic. And we already see this with yeah. Uber and Lyft and the others in cities. So am I a fan? I think it's really cool. Yeah, I you mean, know. the technology is amazing. Yeah. But I think more, I want, um, when I think of my future car, I want George Jetson. I want the flying That's car. That's never yes. going to happen. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I I talk a lot about uh, flying cars in the middle of the book, and uh, I talk about what that meant. Well, it it so get off the air all the time. (laughs) In the right, they they seem to work right, but but uh, But, yes, but there's yeah okay. So there's there's a couple of things uh, I think about. One is if you think about like I don't know how many people really remember the Jetsons. The cars flew, but pretty much everything flew. There was literally no ground, right? Yeah, there was no ground. And and the comedy came out of the fact that it was still you know he was stuck in traffic, but it wasn't just it wasn't just left and right. Go up and down. No, he couldn't go up and down. That was it. So he would go up and down, and there was another lane of traffic over his head, and there was another lane of traffic below him. Right, so back to the future now, where we're going, we don't need roads. I think that's you know a very exciting idea. But that's been around. Uh, Henry Ford built a flying flivver, a uh, flying Model T. Um, this has been a long-standing dream. And what's fascinating now is it's all of these kind of Silicon Valley bros who are you know they just have so <laughs> much money, right? And they watch the Jetsons too as a kid. Sure. So sure. what do they want? They want a flying car. They want a flying car. Yeah. I don't want yeah. a flying car. I still want my hoverboard. I like the idea. Yeah. I really like the idea about driverless cars, but. I like the idea of them servicing people 
who really need them now. Like yes. who, who, you know, somebody who's disabled right. or can't see or has some kind of disability, can't use a car now. Right. Or, you know, and we always, let's just talk about the fact that, you know, you have older drivers on the road who seem to have a lot of issues. Then you wouldn't need to. And, and we were talking about um, at some point, you know, when people have to take away the... Take away the, the keys, keys from mom and dad, and yep. they lose their independence. Absolutely. And so yeah, that would that that's what I love about it. The other stuff, I'm, I'm I, I, no, I I absolutely I, agree with stuff you. I don't like is right all the and and you know uh, uh, Google now Waymo is their driverless car unit. Very early on, kind of did a promotional um, uh, film of this, which was a blind guy getting into the car and going places. And two thoughts I have about that is one that works but it kind of perpetuates all of the other problems that we have, which is sprawl and a car-dependent society. Mm -hmm. So what you're finding is older people are moving just like millennials and younger people are moving into cities where they have transportation options. Um, the other thing, and I hadn't really thought about it, people, people have uh, talked about it, is, you know, these kind of paratransit, which is, you know, if, if you're disabled and you need to get to the doctor, um, MT, uh, MBTA mm-hmm. or others will provide you that, right? Well, those people are not just isolated uh, in terms of mobility, but they're also isolated from people. Sure. And so that driver who shows up and says, you know, hello, Mrs. Jones. Yep. That's somebody uh, to talk that's to them. Exactly. Somebody checking in, yep. somebody talking. Exactly. Yeah. And so you may still need that human uh, yeah. in the loop, whether they're driving the vehicle or not. I'll sit in the car. I'll sit in the car all day long. That's right. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I think is interesting, and I don't know if this will have any impact on driverless cars or not, but there seems to be young people there are fewer young people getting their licenses or they're waiting until they it's like a friend of mine um well my daughter she's she has absolutely no interest well right. yeah she's I have, like right. miss daisy in the back of the car i, I drive her everywhere several yep. friends of mine their kids are in their late 20s and 30s and don't have licenses mm-hmm. owen only got his license because his company moved and and there was no easy no public to transportation mm-hmm. to get there mm-hmm. so he was forced to get his license or get a new job and he liked right. his job right <laughs> um is that a wave that we're seeing it, it, one of the interesting things about that is it's been going on since the 80s. Is it a driver's I think it's a driver's ed thing because there's no budget. Because everybody was like, driver's ed, I can't wait to take driver's ed. Well, so driver's ed, and again, I talk about this in the book, for a long time, particularly in the 50s, it became a huge thing. And the public uh, sector was supporting it. So the schools were doing it as if it were a regular class. And, you know, tax dollars went to that and so forth. Now, in most places, even when there is high school driver's ed, it's paid for by the students taking the class. So, And the reason is, and you're going to find this fascinating, I do, doesn't work. Really? Right. Really? So, in fact, and this began in DeKalb County, Georgia. They started studying this in the, in the 80s was it not only doesn't it um, improve driving, but because it tends to lower the age at which people uh, get their licenses, it creates more accidents than it solves. Uh. The reason is... Driving skill is, you know, somewhat important. And, you know, my daughter bumped into the side of the garage. And, you know, you're going to get those little things. But the actual serious, dangerous accidents come from attitude. Mm -hmm. And young people, when they're 16, their brains are half-formed. They don't understand they're going to die someday. That's why you can't rent a car until you're 25. That's right. They won't (laughs) let you rent a car until you're 25. And what we now have are called... Really? Yeah. Yeah. You ever tried? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's the only industry that knows brains aren't formed until I was was so embarrassed. I I was sent on a work trip and I couldn't rent the car. I had to have my boss come down (laughs) and rent the car. It was terrible. But um, 
uh, this is what they do now is called graduated licenses, and they and they even at sixteen you're not a full fledged driver. And yeah, I, I was trying to yeah. figure I was trying to Junior figure that operator, out because right. you know back in the day. Um, if you were, you could start driver's ed. Of course, I also grew up in New Hampshire where things are mm. different. You could start driver's ed at like 15 and a half. Mm-hmm. 15 and, and nine And the day months, you turned 16, right. you were out yep. there. You had your license. That's right. You yep. were gone. And it's funny. I, uh, my sister and I commuted a long distance to school. And so my dad took me the day of my birthday. Oh, yeah. I got my license and he bought himself a new car and said, we're not driving you to school Exactly, And that's right? why a lot of our friends got their driver's license because, yeah, their parents needed you to. That's right. Especially if you had siblings that you were driving around right. because you had to drive around. So and there was I, no public I grew up in a I grew up in a farm community in, in central Illinois. So, you know, seeing, I mean, you could see kids as young as like 10, 9 driving the tractor through the middle of town that's or the right. combine yeah, or whatever. Yeah, there are well, 14 year old licenses. I knew how to drive because yeah. I knew how to drive a tractor and I knew how to drive a motorcycle. So by the time I was 16... I my, yeah, my, my license was no problem. My and dad used to take me out on the backcountry roads, and he taught me. See, my dad was a very confident driver. He was a really good driver. My mother stunk. And, <laughs> no, and she was very. She was a very nervous driver, right. and she was always like, "I'm afraid I'm going to kill somebody or right. me or something." So she was right. very difficult to drive. So my father didn't. He, you know, he taught her to drive, but she, for some reason. You know, yeah, licensing came a lot later than you would think. It wasn't until the 30s most states had licenses. And even then, the license was basically you go down and they say, are you blind? And you say no, and you get a license, right? <laughs> so it wasn't until right the now. 50s. Yeah. yeah, right. It's kind of still the same way, isn't it? They're in a, yeah, the, uh, I tried to convince my daughter that, you know, to pass a driver's test, they were going to ask her about all these, you know, be able to identify a car. Okay, that's a BMW, that's a Volvo. That, that lasted for a few days. But then she caught on. So, but yeah, no, the the driver's test was basically a state policeman, and you know, pull up, parallel park, and yep, you're good to go. So we don't really work that hard at it. No. So it, it it is true that drivers ed um, used to be much more supported, and it isn't anymore. Um, the people who have looked at this and tried to figure out why kids don't drive as much um, have found they they don't quite know. Cars have new cars have gotten much more expensive, and that's partly a function of. Um, the, the marketplace, but also safety and environmental regulations. Sure. And then also kids are used to their parents driving in places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, my yeah. parents, they drove us when they had to, but otherwise we had a bike. Exactly. You have a bicycle. Bike. I and, tell you, and I'm you Morgan wanna... Freeman. My daughter doesn't, my daughter doesn't even, won't even, <laughs> like, no, I'm serious. I say we're driving Miss Cassie today. The, the thing is, the thing is, she won't even sit in the front seat with me like she's so used to like when she was a young kid you know you sit them in the back you sit them in the back and now i'm like why'd you hop into the front with me and we'll like turn the music on you can play with your stuff she's like no i'll sit in the back thank you very much and there's like plenty of room i talk about this the uh, in the book that um you know used to be shotgun i get to be in the front seat which is a huge deal then in the 90s they found out that airbags were killing children yeah. Yep. So you had a car seat, particularly a rear-facing car seat, and the kid would be killed. And you had a kid in a seatbelt. They would slide under. They would hit the – so um, instead of fixing that problem immediately, and I've watched the congressional hearings about that, the American car companies uh, paid basically for a put-your-kids-in-the-back-seat campaign. And now it kids worked. are used to, and it worked, right? <laughs> well, so we all put our kids in the back seat, and and people are like, "I'm a horrible parent if I let them ride in the front." And so, what else? They're used to being chauffeured. Yeah, you know. I will they say that in their attitude, in yeah. terms of like the seatbelts and stuff, mm-hmm. I find just as a very short woman, 
I am often strangled by my seatbelt because right. it's designed for a guy who's right. much larger than me. And and so a lot of times if the seat doesn't rise high enough, it catches me in the neck. Right. I find myself riding and holding the seatbelt off with one hand. My dad had a car with an adjustable seatbelt. There are, right. Seat so they yeah. do adjust up and down usually on the side, but some, but often it's not low enough. My daughter's four foot ten and three quarters. Oh. And you can That's actually, be tough on her. and this is also part of the um, the airbag thing, you can apply to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to have your airbag turned off. Wow. Um, you have to fill out a little form that explains yep. why you want it, and then you have to go to a special place that will turn it off, and your car maker, this is the part I didn't know, so Honda would pay for us to have that done. Wow. Uh, yeah, which is, and it's because it's a safety feature, it's, it's safety. regulated from the government, but what you're talking about actually can be dangerous, and um, I always think if that seatbelt pins me to the seat, right. it's got me right around the neck. That's right. So, and there are things just so you know, you can get a little thing that'll that'll hold that seatbelt down. You know, just buy it on wherever. Yeah, there's like um, a clip or something. Yeah, like some that. kind yeah. of clip. So then you feel you feel a little. I know. I feel like oh, now good. I need to get yeah. you something for your birthday. Well, I noticed yeah. it. It's I just bought. I just bought a new car, a new to me car. Right. Um, and <laughs> new it's, to you. It, yeah, yeah. It's worse in my husband. My husband has a little Toyota pickup truck, and it's yeah. worse in his pickup truck. Right. But I just noticed in the new car that I'm like, oh, the seatbelt rides high. It rides, yeah. you know, yeah. up on. No, and my, my again, my yeah. daughter has the same problem. And it, it had another element of this, which is interesting, is that um, automotive engineers. Not a lot of short women historically. No. Not a lot of women historically. No, exactly. Right? I have no doubt. And yeah. and airbags were in fact designated by uh, both by federal rules and also by by culture to be able to stop an unbelted fiftieth percentile adult male. Yeah, I knew. No yeah, I, like I knew that. I remember reading. Yeah, right. I remember reading that. And even now, if you flip down your visor, there's that warning sign, right, in yellow, beware. And you're thinking, this is a safety feature, and it's the one thing in the car that could kill me. (laughs) And it has an alert (laughs) on it to beware. Right. There's something wrong with that. They've gone off. Sure. My my colleague, Reba, was driving home on a rainy night. She's down on Route 16. Headed to Medford. I don't know where she was going. Uh, but she hit a pothole. It was full of water. She didn't know it was a pothole. And threw her, oh. yeah, set her airbag off yeah. right in the middle of rush hour traffic. It, yeah. was, it wasn't rush hour because it was late at night. But it was 16. It's, it's scary. It's like 128. Yeah. It was yeah. always bumper to bumper. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, she was tooling down there, what, 50 miles an hour, and that airbag went off. That's definitely going to break yeah. your nose, even if you like, yeah. you know... She was lucky. She life. she didn't drive off the road. She was lucky. She right, managed right. to get I mean, to the side. Literally an explosion going yeah. off. That's yeah, how they work. Exactly. They have a little we charge. To, we used to talk to my daughter. My husband um, always talked about how his dad, like three boys, you know, he used to say, you know, my my dad's arm was our seatbelt. Like, you know, he's like, I can't tell you how many times my I don't my even brother have kids and I do it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I thought it was a parental they reaction. They both just put yeah, their arm out too. I don't even have kids and I still find my I, I have nieces and I find myself doing I it. I will remember yeah. to my dying day reaching over yep. and grabbing my daughter's breast. <laughs> I was like, oh, He didn't do awful. it, I'm sorry. Oh, but you saved her life. <laughs> I do, right, but I saved her life. But no, you you literally, it is a it is an absolute a, gut reaction. Just you don't even yeah, think about it. Totally like, what you, she's yeah. like, what the hell are you doing? I was like, yeah. 
was like, I'm, I'm trying to save you. I'm saving your life. I was like, I'm yeah. in a seatbelt for God's sake. You know, I mean, come on, we're the parents. We have to do these you remember, things. You remember that? Like your, your parents would do that. Oh, he's my like, mother I can't, did it. He's yeah. like, I can't even tell you how many times my brother, he wouldn't catch all three of us. One of us, whoever was sitting on the end, would always hit the dashboard. Slide into the dashboard. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Or the person sitting in the middle, like a missile goes right, right. through the And now, you know, that's all trouble. padded and all those, yeah. you know, everything's designed so that if you do hit the dashboards. You'll but bounce. back in the day, you know, those beautiful tail fin cars, you know, you would just get ripped in the face. You'd end up with Dodge on your yeah. stamped <laughs> on your forehead, you know? True. Yeah. Liz and I. So of all the cars that you've had over the years, what's your favorite? Oh, I know. Here. This like is trying brutal. Trying to pick your favorite, pick child. Your favorite child. I know. I mean, certainly the one I talk about most in the book is, is a sob that I had. Yeah. And I love those. I yeah. never had one, but I always wanted one. Yeah. They were and the they're, they're very rare in the U.S. Yeah. Um, not, you know, tens and 15,000 uh, the imported. The, there was the S. 900. That's yeah. And I, I had the 900 S. Um, beautifully shaped, yep. very uh, taut, you know, so uh, I didn't had a twist. That had one. Handled really nicely. Designed by um, Saab stands for you know basically the Swiss Air Force. I didn't know that. I, I'm sorry, I'm Swedish Swedish Air Force. Yeah, I didn't know that until I read yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. I read That's that interesting. Book. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Um, and and coming out of World War II, a lot of countries in Europe uh, were sort of like, now what do we do? You know, and there weren't a lot of. Swedish warplanes being sold, and so they got into the car business. And so you had weird things. You had the ignition down between yep. the seats. Yep. Uh, the engine was in backwards. Very, very aerodynamic. Um, a lot of things that you know American engineers weren't thinking about um, because we had this long history cool. of cars. They were they were an airplane company, and yeah. so they made them that way. Yeah, it was so. That's cool. your favorite one. What's your dream really one? Was. Like, do you have like a dream one? Like my husband for forever, and he'll never have one. Is a nineteen? He wants like a nineteen sixty nine. Mustang red convertible. Oh, sure. I'm like, Who yeah, doesn't? you know what? Why don't we just Who rent doesn't? one? I do not. <laughs> I will tell you again, it that car is almost too cliche for me. I, know. I want a 1949 Nash, the big one. Those the are Commander. cool. They yeah. are neat. They, um, uh, so this is right after the war. The big three General Motors, Chrysler, uh, uh Ford were coming off all these, uh, uh, military contracts so they'd been building plane engines and tanks and all this stuff and they had to turn their factories over put in the new dyes re- redesign all their cars meanwhile there were these little companies like Studebaker and Nash I, love, I was going to say Studebaker so yeah oh, I love Studebakers yeah. too um, uh, who, who basically got the lead and, and they for a very brief moment could have done kind of the styling lead and they made some very aerodynamic, very advanced uh, cars. Tucker is another one. You probably mm-hmm. heard yeah, of the yeah. Tucker. Oh, yeah, 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 the movie, right? right? The yes. great the movie, movie, Tucker. Yes. Yep, yep. And so there was this brief moment, late 40s, right around till 1950, where you know there were all kinds of possibilities. And that's one of these cars that has uh, fold the seats fold flat, makes a big double bed. Um, and the idea was it was for a traveling salesman. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, yep, yep. That is cool. That's one of the things I remember about my my uh, dad had a 1939 Chevy. Oh, yeah. And the back seat of that thing was like a couch. It yeah. was just huge and wide and deep. I mean, I'd as a kid, I'd sit on it, and my feet didn't come anywhere near the floor. Wow. And the distance... From the back seat right. to the back of the front seat, we could yeah. we would have to kneel on the floor. You couldn't you like couldn't lean, just over. lean over. No, that's right. you would yeah. kneel on the floor, and it had a rope across the back. And the, hang yep, on. that's what you hung on they to. Had, um, <laughs> they had, it was literally a rope. It was, but I think it was a ta- uh, it was for blankets. Probably early seatbelt. 
Yeah. But for, but for us kids, it was like... No, I know. Hang on. It was a fun <laughs> ride, right? Yeah. And they advertised them as sofa-wide seats. Living room oh, really? comfort. Yep, sofa-wide seats. That's were. exactly so what did, they were. So what do yeah. you think... Okay, let, let's put driverless cars aside. Uh-huh. Where are we going next? More rounded edges, some edges, some bubble cars. It's, yeah, they look it's boxy all now. About, they look like boxes now. Right. Well, there's two things going on right now. One is SUVs. Um, we're now up to almost 70% of cars sold in the United States are SUVs. Uh, oh, I'm looking at one too. Are you? Well, I, and frankly, you know, people, oh, they shouldn't drive SUVs. I feel like it's an arms race because, again, we have this little BMW and I drive around in it and I'm not in the minivan or my pickup truck and it's. It's scary, it is. right? Like the Fiat. Especially if you're driving a small car. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're down here, and they're up there. Yeah. And so there's more and more people saying, I need to be up higher. Well, why do you need to be up higher? Because the car in front of you, it's like standing you know, at the stadium. People yeah. in front of you are standing up. you got to stand up to see what's going on. So I think we're going to see um, that continue, certainly, in the United States. The other thing is aerodynamics. Um, you're going to see uh, wing mirrors, uh, uh, side mirrors start to disappear, and cameras in their places. Mm. Um, you're going to start to see, I think, like the rear backup camera. Right. So now we have backup cameras, which are which are regulated. Turn your requires. neck for goodness' sake. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and and so and you know again backup cameras. I I can't use them very easily. Right. No, I'm you not. Know? My new car has one. Yeah. And we had had. Um, so we had one of the Toyotas that got recalled for suspension, we had mm-hmm. our Toyota pickup, mm-hmm. and it was actually, it was very fortuitous. It was 2015, which was the year we had all that snow. Mm-hmm. So it was great, because they gave us this big honking SUV to use right. free of charge while right. they were rebuilding the truck, and it had one of those backup yeah. cameras. And and my new car has one. Did you, do you car. like it? No, I can't quite get used to them. I, yeah. I try to use it, but I don't trust it. I'm still, I'm still right. looking so at it. Right, so I still use the mirrors. that's what you were sort of raised yeah. with. But right? I, yeah, but also, I... For thirty bucks on Amazon, Guangzhou Manufacturing Company makes a backup camera, and you put it in, and you have this little screen. And I put it in because I was backing into a driveway, and there was somebody sitting down in the driveway, and I was looking at all my mirrors, and I was going very slowly. But without that backup camera, I well, kind of bumped into him. I was going to say, I, yeah. I, I do look for cats. Sorry, Brad. Right, right. Because <laughs> you're not going to see the and cats. And that, by the way, is why they're required. They were finding. Um, I think it's about 500 kids a year dying. Yes, people running over them in the that. driveway. Yeah, yes. hitting them in the driveway. I, I, yeah. I, I, oh, I, well, see, that's a good that. thing when, when you... Yeah. We but in terms yeah, of styling... I think they I think, have good... I think that it's not oh, a no, it's feature. A, yeah. I just... Something that's... But I also, think, I also think that there's no reason... We, we're at the point now where there's no reason new cars shouldn't be able to see a kid sitting on the driveway and stop all by itself. And this is one of the things I think is coming more and more. Um, you know, I think driverless cars where you sit in the back seat and get chauffeured around very long way off, different business model. Just watch iRobot. That, that, that's the perfect model. Uh, of the movie. Yeah, yeah iRobot. Right. With oh, of Will course. And, and, you know, they're driving along in this Audi and, and he's like, I'm going to drive. And the Manual. robot says, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the funny things is people think, oh, this has been this dream we've always had. But if you look at film and, and culture. In fact, uh, Asimov has a story, Isaac Asimov has a story where, um, you know, there's a revolt of these cars, right? And, and uh, where the, the, in, in iRobot, the movie where mm-hmm. the car is going to crash. My favorite one is, uh, what's it called? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Mars. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, a Total uh, Recall. Total yeah. Recall, yeah. right? And he gets in the Johnny cab, which is an automated cab. And, and he ends up having to rip the cabbie out, the fake cabbie out. 
yep. drive the thing himself to get away. So they always turn out really badly. I know. Yeah. I don't even like, what is it, NSTAR, the, the thing you call oh, it? Yeah. Oh, OnStar. 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 I don't even like OnStar because yeah. I'm like, they have the... They have the ability to lock me in my car if they want. I was in the... Um, <laughs> not that I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'm not. I'm just saying. No, but they, they do... Anstar does advertise. You know, they show, uh, you know, your car has been stolen, and they show it OnStar turning the car off yeah. and the police showing up, uh, which is that. quite possible. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, except if someone's... You borrow somebody's car and they get angry at you and right. reported stolen. Right. And now they've got you locked in a car, can do whatever they want. <laughs> I was at There's the, always a downside. I was at the New York My Auto goodness, Show. goodness, you should write a book. There you go. The bad scenarios. I was at the New York Auto Show and was sitting in the um, a Bentley, you know, very the Rolls Royce kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. And it had a switch, didn't say anything on it. It was a little red, red door on the switch. So, you know, you see a little red switch. He pressed it. Flipped you it down. Gotta. I pushed it on. And the phone rang. Is there a problem? I'm like, oh my God, no, sorry. And I was trying to hang up the phone, but it was really complicated on this screen. So she's like, that's okay. I can hang up the phone for you. I was like, oh, jeez. Oh so I think that was press days. I hope they turned that button off for the for the public. But you know. Sunstar. Yeah. So awesome. This was so much fun. Yes. So Dan, we always ask everybody who hangs out with us here on Book Nation. What's on your nightstand? What are you reading? Uh, what am I reading now? I have a book, and I'm going to forget the title, uh, a book about um, the first black superstar bicycle racer. And this wow. goes back to the early 20th century. And, uh, I mean, it's a great story. He was really y – you learn – in fact, how big a sport bicycle racing, spectator sport bicycle yeah. racing was. It's crazy. Um, but also, you know, it's the story of integration and of this guy kind of um, the, the problems he has traveling even as a superstar, yeah. you know, what hotels will take him and whatnot. Um, but also, uh, you know, there's a bit of integration story there as well. Isn't that, wasn't it Josephine Baker? I know there's some like really famous singer who used to talk about how people of all colors and ages would come to her shows and they would crowd in, but yet she still had to That's use right. the back entrance. That's right. And this, by the way, there was a recent film called The Green Book, and it was called The Green Book because there was this thing called yes. The Green Book, yeah. which was for African-American road trippers to say, you know, here's a safe place to eat, here's a good hotel, and all of that was based so on So is that, that what, uh, do you normally like nonfiction or what? Yeah, I do. I, I um, in fact... It's not on my nightstand anymore, but it's called The Three-Body Problem. Big science fiction novel, Chinese author, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Chi Zhu, I think is, uh, or Zhu Chi, I'm sorry. Um, and it's a really, really interesting science fiction novel about uh, the discovery of an entirely different uh, alien species, but they're, they're hundreds of years away at the speed of light, and you know how are we going to respond cool. to that? And all it's a really, really a good book. I was a big science fiction fan. Too. I do. Yeah. I like that's sci that's the one I would tell everybody to read. The other one's sort of you know history, and I, I get into that. But uh, yeah, definitely the three body problem is a winner. Chris, awesome. so write that down. Write that down. I'm writing it down. I'll forget it. I'll forget it as soon yeah, as you leave. I'll yeah. be like, what was that book? Absolutely. Three body problem. Make her write that yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we had so much fun with you talking about cars. Um, we did. And tell us quickly, where is your book available? Are we my there yet by Dan Albert? Yeah, my book is available everywhere. I'm disappointed to say the Marblehead Bookstore Spirit of 76 has run out 
of signed copies. Wow. Um, That's a out. Good yeah. thing. Go down. No, it is. It more. is. So yeah. go down and ask them for more. I really think um, people should buy it at a local bookstore. Bookstores in Boston are all carry, carrying nice. a Harvard bookstore and all of it's, that. It's so a many. fun yeah. book. And, you, yeah. and like you said, it's a fun book and you don't have to be you know, a, a major car yeah. enthusiast. It's just, it's, yeah. It's, it's if a you think cars are pretty to look at, you'll love it. <laughs> or if you like to drive, go on and, a road trip. Like you said, it's a history lesson, but it's also personal. There's lots yeah. of stories about, yeah, you're driving around and learning to work on cars, and so it's it's just So fun. much fun. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. So thank again, you. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always nice to be invited. It's always a good day when we can talk about cars. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us again on Book Nation. I'm Chris Stevens. I'm Nell Coakley. And don't forget to go to Facebook or our Twitter, oh, which that's is... right. We have a Twitter account We now. have a Twitter account, which is at Book Nation Cast, as in podcast. So, yeah, follow us. So check Please, us out. follow us. <laughs> and um, above all, keep reading. Keep reading. <laughs>